Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this summer in our series on hospitality, I've asked you to perform a little thought experiment. I've, I've, I've said, just imagine for a moment that we were an urban monastery. And at the risk of great oversimplification, I've said, an urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And this summer, we've been talking about this ancient idea of extending hospitality to guests. And I've been telling you some stories from history about how God has used this this community of prayer and work to bless cities over the, over the centuries. We spent a couple weeks with St. Francis, maybe one or two more little stories here. This is one of my favorite St. Francis stories, and he really was the father of what we're calling urban monasticism. If you can put up that slide. Uh, this is the story about Francis and the wolf. And the story goes like this. Uh, This wolf was terrorizing this little village in Italy, and it was coming in and eating uh, the people's food and even their animals and threatening the people, and they were so afraid that they wouldn't even go out at night. And they'd heard that St. Francis was a holy man, and so they said, Francis, would you do something? Would you help us? And Francis said, I will. And Francis went out into the woods. He found where the wolf was staying, and he said, Mr. Wolf, why are you terrorizing the people? And he said, because I'm hungry and I need to eat. And he said, Mr. Wolf, if we agree to feed you, would you stop terrorizing the people? And he made the sign of the cross. The wolf took his hand with his paw and agreed to do that. And then then he went back into the village and said this to the entire uh, uh, village. And uh, the wolf uh, went back out and was fed by the people the rest of his life. Now... It's hard to tell when you study uh, saints where history ends and legend begins. Uh, But I need to say that uh, I believe in miracles. So I don't know if that happened or not. Uh, But if it was a myth or a legend, we might ask, well, what did that come from? What, What was it trying to, where did that emerge from? What deeper meaning does it point to? And Oftentimes, in fairy tales and myths and legends, a wolf represents some kind of dark, foreboding, evil, shadowy presence out in the woods, in the subconscious, in the, in the scary places that continues to attack us. And so I think at a symbolic level, this is a beautiful story, because here this urban monk uh, who decided that it was time to get out of the monastery and into the city, he was not afraid of the shadowy, dark other, the the terror that stalked the community, and he actually went out and engaged it and made peace with it. And I think that's what uh, urban monks do in their city. They they find those places of darkness and despair and shadow and seek them out and try to integrate them back into God's wholeness. And I think that's what we do in our own lives as we find the wolves that are lurking in the woods of our hearts. Now, one of those Wolves is anger, and that is what uh, James is talking about today. Uh, you, you remember this summer we've been looking at this whole question of 
how do we extend hospitality to the guest? And we started in the Old Testament. We started that wonderful story in Genesis about the three visitors that came to Abraham's tent. And I ask you to be praying this summer, who has God brought to your tent? Uh, immediately after praying that, my beloved daughter uh, saw a for sale sign. And to make a long story short, closed the deal on a house in my father-in-law and mother-in-law who we've been praying to get up here for 15 years is moving Saturday. So be careful what you pray for. All sorts of things uh, can start to happen. So that's one of the people God is bringing to our tent. And I ask you that. We looked at some of the Jesus stories about hospitality, but then we acknowledged the difficult fact that it can be harder to be hospitable towards the person right next to you, the person that you live with, the person that you work with, the person that you serve with, than somebody far away. Actually, that's the real, (laughs) that's the hard work of hospitality. We were praying about this. We have this little prayer time on Wednesday mornings, 8.30 to 10. If you have a job or life where you can come, please come. And we were listening and asking the Lord, what's on your heart for our church? And this verse came up. And so the last three weeks, we've been looking at these instructions on how to extend hospitality. Uh, It's really what this little passage is about. And if you remember the context in verse 18, this is important to keep in mind. Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James is talking about this great project God is doing in the word world by his word where he's renewing his people and he's making us a first fruits kind of a picture of what he wants to do in the world, a, a, a sign of what he wants to do in the world. And one of the things that he wants to do is create a people who are hospitable to each other because that's what we all need to heal and grow and become who we're supposed to be. I, I, I'm friend, become friends with a wonderful swim coach over at the University of Tennessee. And, uh, we, we'd finished, we finished our practice, and then the real athletes come in. And uh, I was standing there and asking him, uh, I said, what's the biggest change that you've seen in all your years of coaching? And he said, uh, anxiety. He said, what we are dealing with today is that the anxiety level among students today is, would have been enough to institutionalize a young person when they were uh, our age. So now more than ever, we're looking for these safe places where we can do our work with God. And we've been uh, using Henry Nouwen's wonderful writings on hospitality to kind of guide us. And uh, we've used this quote several times. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear to intrude and do harm. But still, our vocation is to convert the enemy into a guest and to create a free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. I think that's a beautiful vision for the local church. How do we create that kind of a hospitable community? Well, James says, be quick to hear or quick to listen. We talked about the priority of listening well two weeks ago. Then be slow to speak. We talked last week about what it means to be thoughtful, 
graceful, speaking out of the center of Christ and not of reaction. And this week, we're going to consider the third part of James's counsel. Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Um, here's a couple other translations. If you are angry, you cannot do any of the good things that God wants done. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. In view of what he's made us then, dear brothers, let every man be quick to listen, but slow to use his tongue, slow to lose his temper, for man's temper is never the means of achieving God's true goodness. So all anger isn't bad. Um, We know that. There's a place for righteous anger. Jesus models that. Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin. So there's a place for anger, particularly against injustice. That's not really what this passage is about, though. The Greek word used here is uh, uh, orge, uh, sometimes it's translated wrath. It, it, it referred in the earlier days to a fruit teeming with juice that built up so much that it was in danger of squirting out. So that's the kind of anger we're talking about here. And, and I want you to think, just to make this practical, think, think about a relationship where you're in some conflict tonight. Um, if you're like me, there's always some of those going on. I think it's just human. Um, think about it, where there's some tension or you're wrestling a little bit. And what he's saying is, be very careful because over time, the anger can kind of well up in us until it's in danger of squirting out all over the place. Greek Dictionary This word is a settled anger that proceeds from an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone based on extended personal exposure. The Greek word was used for a fruit swelling with juice, for violent emotion, violent passion, and used for punishing an enemy. So this kind of anger really destroys communities. It hinders hospitality. It keeps our living rooms from being safe places keeps us from becoming what God wants us to become. That word, God's righteousness, the big word, books have been written on it, but at the simplest level, it means being in right relationship with God and others, and I suppose yourself as well. So be slow to anger, he says. What, What does that look like? Well, one way to be slow to anger is to slow down enough so that I can become aware of my hidden anger. We talked about how important this is, and two weeks ago, that in relationships, particularly when we're struggling, that we slow down in our response and and listen to what's going on inside. Um, The wolf of anger feeds on many things. What is the wolf feeding on in your heart tonight. Maybe you feel disrespected. Maybe you feel like you've lost control. Maybe you're a part of a personal or systemic injustice. Maybe there's a goal that you really care about that seems blocked. 
Maybe you feel powerless. Well, one of the ways we can be slow to anger is that when we are in any kind of a context where we feel emotion rising up, we can step back and just say, hey, what is, what's, what's going on here tonight? I told you, uh, one of my great theological mentors these days is my chiropractor. I told you that story last week. And uh, he comes to me, and he, he, I really like this guy. I really do. I went back to see him. I promise I did. He freaked me out, but I went back to see him. And he says, okay, hold out your arm. Hold out my arm. And, and he says, let me push on it. He pushes on it. Nothing happens. I'm a strong guy. I'm like, eh, is that your best shot? And then he comes back and he says, all right, let me do it again. I say, what are you doing? He says, the first time I was thinking positive thoughts towards you. The second time I was thinking negative thoughts. And then we had this fascinating discussion where he said, emotions are energy. Emotions are energy. Negative emotions are energy. Energy. And they can become trapped in our bodies and affect the other energy systems in our body. We might not even know it. And he asked me, are you aware in your body of where anger is? I'm going to do a little experiment, a little Holy Spirit experiment. I ask you to be quiet for just a second. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if anger is trapped in your body somewhere, okay? Close your eyes, please. Holy Spirit, please reveal to us in this silence anywhere that anger is trapped within us and show us where we've stored it in our bodies. Thank you. Amen. So the first step in being slow to anger is becoming aware of your anger. Some signs that the wolf is hiding. Passive-aggressive jabs or power plays. A dread of being with a person. Avoiding a person. Gossiping about a person. Triangling a person. Dreams. Strong emotions can also, as we said, bring out physical changes to the body. One source says these are the signs of anger, repressed anger, tingling, heart palpitations, tightening of the chest, increased blood pressure, headaches, pressure in the head or sinus cavities, and fatigue. So pay attention if you're angry. And by the way, it's okay. We get angry. I realize, you know, I was telling somebody, I almost never feel the emotion of anger. Almost never. 
I struggle a lot with melancholy and a stomach that gets goofed up. Why don't I struggle with anger? Am I never angry? No, I just learned early on as a pastor you're not supposed to be angry, so I just put it somewhere else. It's worked really well for me, by the way. (laughs) So it's okay if you're angry. God gives us that for a reason, but we can do some things about it. Another way to be slow to anger is to listen well. One of the reasons you one of the reasons you might be angry with a person is that you don't really fully understand uh, maybe what they are afraid of in the situation, or what they need, or what's going on in their life. Uh, I'll tell you a story from long ago. The stories when I mention my own sins are always long ago. You know. Long, long ago. And this was early in our time in Knoxville. And there was a, a, a pastor at Cedar Springs, wonderful church. His name was Lee. And he was so popular. Everybody loved Lee. Big, jovial guy. He was in all the in groups. He was in Bill Hasm's small group. And I wanted to be in that small group. And everybody loved Lee. He was a big young life leader. And, um, you know, I was just banging it out there by myself. And I was jealous of him, and I remember seeing him in Panera one day. And, you know, when you're jealous of a person, a lot of times you start not to like them. And uh, so I go, hey, Lee. <laughs> and he doesn't even look at me. I mean, the nerve of the guy. I said, I said, hey, Lee. He just stares right by me. So I get into my car, and I'm thinking, that guy is so stuck up, you know, yeah, he knows Bill Haslam, so what? I mean, yeah, it'd be a big deal, you know, I, you know, I, I had a famous friend in California once, and, you know, uh, well, Lee had just found out that he had cancer, the cancer that killed him. So I was angry because I had assumed he was just being stuck up when really He was looking at death in the face. One of the ways we can be hospitable towards another person, especially if we're in conflict, is just to say, hey, you know, we're stuck here. I care about you. I care about our relationship. How about we do this? Today, I just want to listen to you. I just want to understand where you're coming from. I want to know how you feel, what you fear, what you want and need. I won't fix anything. I won't argue back. I won't defend myself. And then maybe tomorrow you can give me the same gift. Don't you think anger is often about fear? That if you can really create a safe space where people can be open about what they want and need, Isn't it often that two good people are afraid that something they love is not going uh, to go well or is going to be hurt? I think fear is often at the core. And if we listen well, we will find out. Um, One of the spaces that a number of you created in our church a few years ago, I think, did this so well. I'm still very thankful and proud of you. About a dozen uh, folks get, got together, I think it was two falls ago, to talk about sexuality, um, and particularly homosexuality. I think it was about eight to ten weeks. And, and this little group had a wide range of perspectives. Um, uh, during that group, one, one uh, person's child came out to them as gay. There was a gay member in the group. There were a number of folks with more traditional conservative perspectives in the group. 
And uh, that group stayed in the room. Nobody quit. They were there. They talked about their fears, fears of being rejected, fears of what happened to their understanding of God's design for marriage. It wasn't easy. I don't think it was a lot of fun. But they all hung together, and they were all changed forever as a result. I think that's a beautiful picture of hospitality. Well, sometimes uh, another way that we can be slow to anger or helped in that is just by suffering over time. (laughs) There's something about pain that can mellow a hard heart. Uh, Doesn't always go in that direction, um, but it can if you let it. Rob Stillman uh, is an English professor here. He works in the 16th century, uh, in England particularly, in the, uh, Europe. And it was a time of incredible conflict about among Christians. Not our finest hour. And uh, he sent me an email that I thought illustrated this well. Uh, Rob says, I came across a letter recently exchanged between two aging former warriors in the battle in London's churches. And then he explains what the battle was. One of these men was a dogmatic, hard-bit French Calvinist. The other was a rabble-rousing Spanish ecumenist, scornful of all dogmatic Christians. The Frenchman accused the Spaniard of heresy and almost succeeded in having him executed. Twenty years passed. The Frenchman spent those twenty years in the Netherlands and had his theology softened as he witnessed the horrors of religious war firsthand. The Spaniard went to Oxford. There he learned to keep his opinions to himself. (laughs) And as he gradually aged and was fired and steadily lost his eyesight, six months before he died, that aging Spaniard got a surprising letter from his old French enemy. The French opponent wrote him to announce the publication of a new book he'd written about how to reconcile Protestant and Catholic interpretations of the Eucharist. And, Rob says, this is the part of the exchange that tugs at my heart. He included with his letter, for the old enemy who'd helped him see the light, a new pair of eyeglasses, since he'd heard the Spaniard was nearly blind. (laughs) Sometimes suffering helps us tame the wolf of our anger. Well, one last way we'll look at tonight, trying to be slow in our anger, is is to forgive. We we know that, um, but let's just briefly think about that again. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, but I don't need to ask them for forgiveness before I forgive. Uh, Aren't they supposed to say they're sorry and then I forgive? Well, that's required for reconciliation. It's not required for forgiveness. And then uh, here's a little paragraph from a book called Steps to Freedom in Christ. How do you forgive from the heart? First, you acknowledge the hurt and the hate. 
That's kind of back to the first step. And that actually might be good for you to do tonight just or tomorrow. Just take out the journal. And, and if you're really mad, maybe even hate somebody, just say it. It just That's one of the ways to flush the wolf out of the woods is just to say, God, I hate him. Don't stop there. But, uh. <laughs> if your forgiveness doesn't visit the emotional core of your past, it will be incomplete. This is the great evangelical cover-up. Christians feel the pain of interpersonal offenses, but we won't acknowledge it. Let God bring the pain to the service so he can deal with it. That's where the healing takes place. By the way, sometimes it's helpful to have a friend that you can talk to. I don't know why, but sometimes a safe friend where you can really let somebody know how much you're hurting and how angry you are. Uh, and, and again, I don't understand how this works this way, but the depth of the pain is equated to the depth of the healing. If it's like, yeah, my father was a knucklehead, I forgive him. You know, that's like right there. Yeah, my father slapped me when I said I wanted to go to the church retreat. Now we're getting way down here. The more honest you can be about the pain, the deeper will be the forgiveness and the healing. And I'd encourage you to do this at home. The article says, ask God to bring to your mind those you need to forgive. Ask God to bring to your mind those you need to forgive. Just sit there with a journal. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to ask you for it. And just, you'll be surprised. You might not have anybody. You probably will. Make a list of all who've offended you. Since God has forgiven them by his grace, you can forgive them too. For each person on your list, say, Lord, I forgive their name for the offense. And I've also found, too, that the more clear you are about the offense, the deeper is the, the healing of the forgiveness. To say, I, I forgive my swim coach for being insensitive to me. That's up here. I forgive my swim coach for yelling at me and telling me I never would amount to anything and for texting crude things to my girlfriend so that she quit and lost her scholarship. That opens up a whole other layer of forgiveness. Forgiveness deals with your pain, not another's behavior. Remember, positive feelings will follow in time. Freeing yourself from the past is the critical issue. So here's the prayer again. Lord, I desire, and I don't want you to do this now. It's too quick. I want you to do it on your own. Lord, I desire to be free from the hurt and the hate of offenses in my past. Today I move beyond desiring to forgive and asking your help to forgive. Lord, I forgive their name, for their name. I did this once. Um, It was part of a longer process called the Seven Steps of Freedom in Christ. First time I did it was in my late or early 30s. Uh, And I've had a pretty chill life. 
I think I had 38 names come up. It took me three sessions, three day-long sessions to work through it. <laughs> and like, I'm, I had an easy life. And I, I kept saying, Lord, is there anybody else? Yep. <laughs> Just, and I bet you something like that will happen for you. So anger hinders hospitality. God wants you to live in right relationship with him, others, and yourself. So be slow to anger. Pay attention to yourself when you're angry. It's okay. It's okay to be angry. Maybe you've really been hurt. Listen well. Let suffering soften you. And forgive. Forgive.